I want to uh, talk to you about making decisions, not so you will make a decision tonight, but about the necessity of making wise decisions, the power of making a decision, and making decisions with the Lord, with the Lord. There is an important thought, actually a principle here, that when God created human beings, <clears throat> he did not create robots. He did not put a microchip in your head and then to manipulate you from a distance. He created you a tripartite being, body, soul, and spirit. And in your soul, there is a function called the will. The will. Tonight, I'm not talking about what some call the power of the will. Like you determine you're going to do something. Rather, I'm speaking to you about the function of your will to make decisions. <clears throat> and you need to understand something about the whole universe and about yourself as a person. In a very real sense, you exercise being a person most when you make decisions, whether they're human and small things like you're at Baskin Robbins and what flavor will you get? Or major things like what university you will attend. Or a little thing like, will you or will you not marry this person? No one, not even God, not your angel, not all the co-workers on the earth can or will make a decision for you. So as a person, you are free within a certain range to make a decision. You weren't free to decide when you would be born, right? Or where you would be born. But during the course of your life, you have the human freedom to make choices. And your decisions, believe me, will determine what kind of person you develop into and what kind of life you will have. For some, it will determine where they will be for eternity. 
For others, it may determine where they will be after the Lord comes back. So all of us as humans have a will with the function of making decisions. We're not totally free, but our freedom is real. And when my daughter and sons were growing up, my wife and I trained them humanly to make decisions. To give them opportunity to make choices. So when they became young adults, their life was totally up to them. No control, no pressure, just as God does not control. Now, a very important fact about your will, it's a life or death matter. God moves in a human life only when that person allows God to do it. The Lord will come as the Spirit. He will pour love into you. He will bless you. He will move in you. He will enlighten you. But it's up to you to decide how you will respond. Like the prophet Isaiah, when he had a vision, and the Lord said, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Isaiah made a decision. He said, I'm here. Send me. So please keep this in mind like uh, for the rest of your life. That if you are passive and don't make any decision, the Lord will not do anything. But the enemy will do a lot. When someone is passive, when they're high on something, when they're drunk, when their will is passive, that's when the enemy moves to take them over as much as he can. But even the enemy must respect your decision. If you tell him to go jump in the lake, meaning the hot one, he will have to pay attention to you. Obviously, I'm far, far beyond being young. But when I was 16, in response to the Lord's moving in my heart, I made a decision that set the direction of my life for 60 years. All kinds of things have happened. Heartbreaking things, shocking things, tragic things, perplexing things. 
But I can say before the Lord and before the enemy, nothing can shake this decision. Made at 16. Actually, that's not uncommon. Some of the basic decisions concerning human life are made when someone is young, especially high school age. Positively or negatively. Two years ago, a serving one sent me an email. A young sister, 16, had informed her she is going to the world. That is her decision. That is what she loves. That is what she wants. That is her direction. That's sad, but that's a decision. Where she is tonight, where she will be in the future, we don't know. So I hope it's somewhat clear that all of us are free to make decisions and all of us will re be responsible either for making them or for just going along. If you don't make any positive decisions, the current of this age will sweep you away. You will not be able to stand against the tide, against the crowd, against all that's coming at you. You'll be like a dead leaf in a stream carried along. But if you make a decision with the Lord, then the triune God, the entire body of Christ stands with you. And you are not alone. So this is the principle. Now, let me give you some cases from the Bible and then some others from human experience about persons who made life-directing decisions. And then we'll consider toward the end, and this won't be overly long, Less than an hour, okay? Just how you can do this in the most pleasant way, in the most delightful way you can do this. So the first person I have in mind, <clears throat> we know is Moses. I read from Hebrews 11, starting at verse 23. <clears throat> By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was lovely and they did not fear the king's decree. See, Pharaoh issued a law, kill all the Hebrew boys. And the parents feared God, not Pharaoh. But they could keep Moses only for a short period of time. Then they put him in the little floating basket. And Pharaoh's daughter found him. Then Moses' sister was there saying, how about if I get a Hebrew woman to nurse him? Good idea. Then she brought the little baby to the mother. She nursed him. But she had to give him up 
Not an easy situation. So Moses grew up in an Egyptian palace. He was a brilliant person, an extraordinary leader, a strong personality, very high in character. His father could have been the great Ramses II, but at a certain point, he made a decision. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's the will. He realized, I am a Hebrew. My mother is a Hebrew. I'm educated as an Egyptian. <clears throat> the whole Egyptian empire is ahead of me. But don't call me an Egyptian. I am a Hebrew. Then the next verse, 25, choosing. He made a choice. Choosing rather to be ill-treated with the people of God than to have the temporary enjoyment of sin. He made a choice. And I won't cheat you. Sin is enjoyable in a perverse way, temporarily. I won't say it's not. This is the scripture. Temporary enjoyment of sin. He said, no, I would rather suffer with the Hebrews. I choose this. My people are in slavery. I will identify with them. I am one of them. And I will suffer with them. One is because he had to be true to what he was. I'm a Hebrew. But there's a higher reason. Considering the reproach of the Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked away to the reward. You are surrounded by a culture in this country that lives for the moment. One moment of joy after another with very little long-range thought. But when I was 16, I made a decision that I knew I could not begin to implement after nine more years of education. A long-range view. So now there are the treasures of Egypt. Some of you are very bright. You know this. You're getting fives on your AP exams. 
Some of the best universities will want you. It'll be even more when you finish your bachelor's degree. And the treasures of the world will be there. The treasures of the world and the enjoyment of sin, it's there. And if you don't make a choice, you'll go in that direction. No one can resist it without making a choice with the Lord. But Moses could look away to the reward. Somehow he knew that however long he lived, and it turned out to be 120, and he was in good health when the Lord said, you're going to die. So 120 compared with a thousand, a thousand. So he made his decision. I'm 40 now. I'll have a not easy life for the rest of the journey. Then there will be a thousand years. But not even that was the highest motive. One last verse. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he persevered as one seeing the unseen one. Somehow, he could see through everything. My daughter is now well into middle-aged. Before she was born, while she was in her mother's womb, her mother and I prayed for her concerning her childhood development. Lord, show her early in her life the vanity of the world. And by the time she was 13, she could see through it. She could begin to see through it. So she made certain choices. Now, after Moses made the choice, what he thought was this. This was his expectation. I'm the man that's going to deliver all these Hebrews. I, I'm chosen for this. So he comes on the scene and he showed his ability to kill people. So an Egyptian was beating on a Hebrew, so manslaughter, first-degree manslaughter, killed the Egyptian. Then the next day, he tried to settle a quarrel between two Hebrews. They said, who made you a ruler over us? You're going to kill me? So then he went to the longest full-time training in record, 80 terms in FTTW. Full-time training, wilderness. Okay, he made the choice. Then life got harder. Not easier. He could have been in the palace. He could have been a pharaoh. He could have married Miss Egypt. All the treasures were there. 
He made a deliberate choice to refuse it, to choose God and God's people and God's purpose. So God said, okay, you made the choice. Now I can work on you for the next 40 years. I want you to be a shepherd taking care of sheep. Then after that period of time, he became the greatest servant in the Old Testament. That was his choice. Another one made his choice a lot earlier. Daniel and his companions, when they were taken from their homeland, separated from their culture, probably from their families, they were junior high age. They were young. 12 or 13 years old. And Nebuchadnezzar gave the instructions to his officers. Choose the smartest, the most promising, the most gifted Hebrews. I want them. I want them to get a Babylonian education. They're going to be here in my system. Well, that was the environment. Daniel had to be there. But then he made a decision. I will not defile myself with the Babylonian diet. I set my heart not to eat it. So then the man in charge, he was afraid. He said, you, you're going to look sick. Then the king is going to kill me or something. Daniel said, just do an experiment for 10 days or so. You feed everybody else the Babylonian stuff. We'll eat our, our diet. Then after 10 days, their countenance was brighter. They were healthier. Then Daniel was there his whole life. When he was an elderly guy, maybe even older than this elderly guy, elderly guy, some really bad characters manipulated the king to make a decree. No one can pray for 30 days. They can only appeal to you. This is aimed at Daniel. And if anyone prays, We'll feed him to the lions. And the king did it. And Daniel made a decision. I'm going to keep on praying. I'm going to keep on praying. I'm not obeying this. This is not from God. I will not stop praying. You're not going to threaten me. No one can defeat a person who is decisive with the Lord. No one. That one is not afraid of anything except having a holy fear of God. And you know what the king said? He was so troubled that he made this decree. He tried his best to rescue Daniel. He couldn't do it. And then he referred to Daniel, servant of the living God. You're a full-time government employee, but you really serve the living God. Your God will protect you. And early in the morning, the king came 
called Daniel. Daniel said, I'm okay. All the lions are snoozing. Okay. Anyway, the angel came. Because he made a decision. I look to the Lord for his grace. But that decision that I made in 1955, you want to know when that decision started to be implemented by the Lord? December 1994. 39 years. 39 years. So life began anew at 55. What is in my heart? I just let it let you know now. Is that you would see this matter. That you would learn in the rest of the sharing to make decisions with the Lord and take this way your whole life. You would never be passive and swept along. Every major decision, human or spiritual, you would make with the Lord and in the Lord, choosing Him, counting the cost, Well, then the Lord Jesus himself lived this way. He was the real will of God man. He even said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. When he was 12, he decided to stay in Jerusalem for several days and be in the temple talking with the rabbis. He had to be in his father's business. When his parents came, he explained what he was doing. And then he made the decision to be under their care. He was only 12. At the age of 30, he decided to stop living as a carpenter. He went to John the Baptist to be baptized. Then he began three and a half years of ministry. And at the age of 33, in obedience to the Father's will, he died. And the night before he died, he struggled. And the only issue was, is this your will, Father? Is this your will? This cup. The death cup. Can it pass from me? Or is it your will? Then he realized the Father's will is that at the age of 33 and a half, I die to redeem God's chosen people. And when he was on the cross even, he made another choice. The, the religious ones came to mock him and said, you saved others, why don't you save yourself? If you're the son of God, come down from the cross and we'll all believe in you. He could have done it. He could have said, okay, 
watch. Here come the nails. Now I come down. But he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't save himself. Instead, he saved you and me. How could our Lord live such a life? How could he make such decisions when he was 12, when he was 30, when the devil came to him while he was in the wilderness and said, look, and this is the fact, I have the authority over the whole political system on the earth. I can give you authority over all of it. Just worship me. And some people today, they don't fully know it. They'll be shocked if they would hear it. The price they will pay to be president is to become a slave of the devil. But not the Lord. Now we need to make a turn in this fellowship to something quite wonderful, enjoyable, delightful, pleasant, that enables us to make decisions that set the direction of our whole life. Whenever I'm serving young people your age, I'm not afraid of excitement. I'm not afraid of emotion, but I never appeal to emotion. I will never ask you to make a sudden decision. <clears throat> Rather, consider these things before the Lord. How is he moving in you? How is he speaking to you? What is he showing you? What does he want you to do? And there are all different ways we may take. But every term, some come to the full-time training, they're 22 or 23. We ask them to write out their testimony. And these ones, not everyone, but these ones will say, I made the decision to come when I was 15. I made the decision to come then. I decided then. I don't know what will come after this, after FTTA. I'm just illustrating. I'm not recruiting. I don't have to recruit. The Lord will call you to do what he wants you to do. Maybe he wants you to be a Navy SEAL when you graduate. Okay, tough guy, be a SEAL, all right? Or you're not an academic type, you're mechanical. Then be a mechanic. Our Lord was a carpenter. He didn't have a PhD. So how could the Lord live a life 
of making these kind of decisions. Well, there is a prophecy in Isaiah that explains this. And I didn't discover this on my own. His brother Watchman Nee gave a message on this. And the message is most precious. So I, I honor the source of this line of fellowship. In Isaiah chapter 7, there's a prophecy concerning Christ. That this son will be born. He will be the mighty God. The eternal father. God's government will be on his shoulders. This is clearly a prophecy concerning the eventual coming of our Lord Jesus. Then the next verse speaks in poetry. And the thought is he will choose the good and reject the evil. But how could he do that? It's because he ate butter and honey. Okay, we're not talking about this literally, okay? At the next retreat, we're not going to feed you butter three times a day and drink honey. That, please don't take it literally. This is a symbol. In order to make one decision after another, decisions that are costly, like Moses, I know that if I identify myself as a Hebrew, I know I will suffer with them in slavery. I know this. I know what I'm giving up. I'm giving up my future. A glorious future. I know that. But I see something beyond that. In a mysterious way, I see inwardly the unseen God. He is real to me. I see the reward. We have the prophecies that these people will come out of Egypt and enter the good land. And I believe... The Lord is calling me to lead them out. So he made the choice. And after he made the choice, the Lord would come in and say, now I can work in you. Now that you made the choice, I can do what I need to do in you. Right now, Moses, you're not able to lead anybody out of Egypt. There are two million souls. When you got provoked, you killed an Egyptian. That's not the way to emancipate my people. So now you go into the wilderness, not for one week, not for one month. You get a wife, you have a family, and you take care of someone else's goats and sheep until you feel it's all over. I'm 80. He even wrote a, a psalm 
The lifespan is 70. If you're strong, it's 80. Now he's 80. Then God comes and says, okay, see the bush burning? It's not burning out. You saw bushes burn and they burn out. This one isn't burning out because I'm the fire and you're the bush. I'm the fire burning in you. Now go to Pharaoh and bring the people out. I don't compare myself with Moses or anybody. But I know what it's like to wait 39 years. I have no regrets. No doubts. When I finished my theological education at Princeton, all my classmates, the faculty, the administration, they knew. There's a bright future. If you only didn't make this choice. But I decided to give up the whole thing. Now, what's the significance of this mysterious poetic language in Isaiah 7, 15, according to the proper translation? The, the Lord could always make the right decision because he ate Spiritually speaking, butter and honey. Okay, this is precious. The butter signifies the richest supply from God. And that is grace. That is grace. Grace is the triune God actually being your enjoyment. And this enjoyment is more real than any kind of earthly enjoyment. It's real. So every day, the Lord Jesus fed himself on the butter of God's grace. He never got married. Physically, he was not an attractive person. He grew up in poverty, the oldest of at least seven children. He had four brothers and sisters are mentioned. He was in a despised area. He worked as a carpenter. But he enjoyed God every day. He didn't try to do anything. He didn't even try to make a decision. His first aim was, I want to enjoy the Lord's grace. When we were meeting just before the meeting started, the brothers asked, do I have any suggestion for songs? I didn't have any. I said, my only desire is that we would all be happy. We would just be happy. We would sense the grace the sweetness. When this becomes real to you, to you, you'll hardly know what to do. How can the Lord be so rich to me? 
so real to me. Even one day, Paul was suffering very much. And he wasn't trying to be a hero. He, he prayed. He didn't say, Lord, send me a bigger thorn. I'm a tough guy. He said, take it away. No answer. Prayed again, take it away. No answer. After three times, the answer came. My grace is sufficient for you. One day, that will be real to you. Whatever's happening to you in your life. The butter of the rich grace of the triune God makes God so enjoyable to you. Well, how can this happen? Do you know Jeremiah 15, 16? Anybody know Jeremiah 15, 16? Jeremiah had a rough life. But this verse says, your words were found and I ate them. And your word became to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. So have you found out a little bit how enjoyable eating the word is? When you eat the word by praying it, by singing it, you're eating butter. That butter is grace. And that grace supplies you and it inclines you toward God. And what about the honey? Well, the honey is the sweetest. And that refers to the love of God. So I'd like to ask you something now, gently, in the way of hopefully opening up something for your experience. We know what John 3.16 says, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So you may say, okay, I'm included somewhere in this, right? I'm part of the human race, so I guess I'm loved as part of all the people. Okay, that's kind of mental, but it's not a bad place to start. Then Ephesians 5 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So then you may say, well, I'm in the church. I got baptized and I'd like to meet with the saints. So he loves the church. I suppose then he must love me. <laughs> now you're preparing for an AP exam and, and calculus. You, you, you're working this out. But Paul said something striking. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Who loved me. And gave himself up for me. Okay, this is the point. I can't make this happen in you. 
I don't trust my words to do this. But your life changes when you discover maybe after you've had a failure, maybe when you've not been a good church kid, at least not as good as people think you are. Then the Lord comes. And like Romans 5 says, the love of God is poured out in your heart. And then you realize the Lord loves me. Me. And died for me. Yes, he bore all of our sins. He's the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. But it's quite a bit different when you realize he died for me. He bore my sins. He did this willingly. And how could he make this decision? Hebrews chapter 2 says, he tasted death by the grace of God. He tasted grace. It was the butter that enabled him to make the choice. At the end of John 14, he said, Now let the world know that I love the Father. Father, I will do this because of love. So the honey is the love of God for you experienced. Whenever I share this, I have the sense, and this is not a criticism, it's just a sense that many of those listening <clears throat> can't yet say, I know he loves me. That's why I'm talking along this line. So you may want to pray a secret prayer to say, Lord, Please give me the experience that I need that will cause me to know that you love me. The New Jerusalem will have millions of glorified sons of God. We will all be recognizable as persons there. You're not going to be a big blob of jasper floating around in the new heaven and the new earth. You will be you. And you are you because in eternity past, God chose you. In eternity past, God predestinated you. He fashioned you to be a particular kind of vessel. No one can replace you in the body. You are indispensable to him. And he desperately wants you to know what the honey tastes like. When I was 19, something very, very sad happened to me humanly and left a deep wound. And I was quite academic and intellectual then. 
So that's how I cope with it. So I made a decision that took years to reverse. I decided two things. One is, there, isn't, there really isn't any love. No one ever really loved me. They only loved the image. Once they got to know me, they couldn't love me. So I decided, let's settle for respect. Okay? No love, but settle for respect. And the other decision was, only idiots are happy. The deep people, you know, all the deep thinkers, you know, and those who write music, they suffer in this and that. And so I'll expect life to be basically <laughs> one tragedy after another. But then I met a sister who has been my wife for 49 years. And she helped me have a turn. Then I came into the church life. We came together. And in one meeting, we're singing a hymn. Wonderful hymn. Come and rejoice with me. For I have found a friend who knows my heart's most secret depths, yet loves me without end. Come and rejoice with me. I, once so sick at heart, have met with one who knows my case and knows my healing art. So I nullified that stupid decision. You can nullify dumb decisions as part of the Lord's mercy to us. But joy took a little longer. But then I learned of Brother Watchman Nee, who gave this message entitled The Power of Choosing. And he said, it's the grace and the love that enables us to choose. Then I began to understand. After the communist takeover, he was safely in Hong Kong for a while. And the brothers appealed to him to stay here where it's safe. But one day, without telling anyone, he decided to return. He asked someone to take him to the train station. He went back into the mainland, knowing what was ahead. After his trial, and he was imprisoned in 1952, until the Lord took him in 1972, and the last word he communicated in writing was, I have maintained my joy. Amen. When I heard this, I realized the deepest people are those who enjoy the Lord. Amen. So just one last thing. Okay, I just really want you to know what it is for you to be a human being, even though you're young. You have a will. You will make one decision after another. You're free to do that. 
And you're responsible to do that. One day, the younger of two sons came to his father and said, I want my share of the inheritance now. So the father didn't stop him. He said, here's the money. That's your decision. You go. So he went. We know how he ended up. Feeding hogs. Then he came to himself. And he made another decision. I will go to my father's house. And ask to be a slave. This is Luke 15 as everybody knows. But it tells us. Even if you made some really dumb decisions already. You can reverse them. You can reverse them. You have the power to reverse them. To say, Satan, I just reject every ground I gave to you. I'm choosing God. I'm not promising to be better. I'm choosing God. But in order for us to live this way, to make the costly choices, like Moses... I'm not an Egyptian. I'm a Hebrew. No, I will not accept this position right out of Stanford Law School. I will not accept it because I can tell it will cost me my church life. I won't accept it. I'll accept a lesser paying job with a less prestigious law firm because I'll have time To seek first the kingdom of God. But the way into this. Is butter. And honey. Grace and love. And then the final point. Is. When you make a decision. Especially an important one. What university you will go to. What your major will be. Will you or will you not go to the full-time training? Will you or will you not serve? Will you marry this person? Will you accept this job? If you would remember this, please do not make any major decisions by yourself without the Lord. Please don't do that. I plead with you. Just don't do that. You just talk to the Lord. Open to the Lord. Contact the Lord. And make the decision in him and with him. We don't know when our Lord will come. It could be many decades If it's many decades, I'm not going to be here on a Saturday night. But you will be here. And I'd like you to be able to tell the younger generation that you made choices in the Lord that were costly, but it set the direction for your whole life. And now... You have no regrets. So 
I'm not asking you to make a decision, not even to make a decision about making decisions. <laughs> you were open. I can tell you were open. You were receptive. So you're blessed. Now I can be at peace. We've been sowing unto the Spirit. The Word is in you. Eat lots of butter. Amen. Lots of honey. Let the Lord love you. Let the Lord be your enjoyment. Then be one with Him in choosing Him all the days of your life.